Welcome to the Morning Glory Project, Stories of Determination. I'm your host, Betsy Graziani Fossbinder. Like in nature, we see determined flowers and vines clinging to life and seeking light. So are Morning Glory people. And in this podcast, I'll interview writers, activists, artists, entrepreneurs, survivors, and thrivers, and trailblazers of all kinds. These are folks that have been determined to get over, under, around, and through the obstacles that face them, or to seize the opportunities that come before them. I find these people inspiring and amazing. I know you will too. Be brave, be kind, fight fires. That's the motto of firefighters like my guest on the Morning Glory Project today, Hirsch Wilson, who spend their lives walking toward rather than away from danger and suffering. Hirsch and his wife, Lori, both started their lives as dancers with zero aspirations toward firefighting. Lori's chance encounter with an injured patron at her workplace led her to take CPR training, and this became the catalyst that would lead both her and Hirsch in 1986 to serve as volunteer firefighters with the Hondo Fire Department in Santa Fe, New Mexico. In his new memoir, Firefighter Zen, Hirsch shares the Zen-like techniques that allow people like him to stay grounded while navigating danger, comforting others, and coping with their personal responses to whatever unexpected, unwelcome crises they're called upon to face. His belief is that it's how we cope with those inevitable events more than the events themselves, that defines the quality of our lives. He teaches these principles to organizational leaders and now shares them in his invaluable guide to meeting every day with our best calm, creative, and optimistic selves. Hirsch Wilson, thank you so much for being part of the Morning Glory Project. I'm happy you're here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to invite you, if you will, before we get into our conversation, to read just a little section of Firefighter Zen for us. It's just a couple of paragraphs. Sure, I'd love to. The inevitability of disaster soon becomes part of the firefighter's DNA. But somehow most firefighters I know are resolutely good-humored and composed. It's hard to fluster a good firefighter. We have learned how to thrive here in this universe of uncertain futures and certain tragedy. We learn to thrive because of calamity and heartbreak we see almost every day, not as people often think, despite of what we experience. Lori and I, and most volunteer firefighters we know, have stumbled on a heart-saving secret. When we accept the reality that society is just a veneer that masks the fundamental drumbeats of an immutable and uncaring universe, our path to fulfillment is straight towards calamity. When we serve, when we take care of strangers, when we work in community to save a community, we feel most alive. This isn't an adrenaline rush, although there's that too. It's mostly in the shift from me-centered to other-centered that we find meaning and even joy. You don't have to be a firefighter to find that fulfillment. You just have to see the world through firefighters' eyes. Thank you for reading that. And that seems to sum up so much of why you wrote this book. It's about it's not about trying to get other people to go fight fires. No, no. <laughs> it, it's about the outlook that you've gained. And, and tell me a little bit about that. Well, first of all, tell me how you became the, the arc of your story from dancer to firefighter is not the typical one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so perhaps you can tell me a little bit about how you and wife, you and your wife, Lori, found yourselves 
in that circumstance and sure. and then what then we'll go on to what you've learned in in the work that you've been doing so uh, i went to college uh and i was a typical college kid i had no idea of what i wanted to do or be um and i was incredibly lucky to find a passion my sophomore year which was uh dance so um i quit college much to my father's um concern um <laughs> and and started a career in dance and uh, did that for uh, until I was um, 30. And I met Lori. Uh, she was also a dancer. We met and we married. And at 30, uh, your knees give out and uh, you know it's time to find another career. So I went back to an old love, uh, which was uh, being a pilot. So I was a commercial pilot um, for four or five years. And then we moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And we both found work and Lori was working at a conference center. And I think, as you mentioned in your in your introduction, one of her um, one of her clients fell and uh, broke her ankle, and there was no medical help whatsoever. Uh, and so they called the ambulance. The ambulance got there after half an hour because he was in way rural New Mexico. And Lori was determined that that would never happen again. So she took some medical training. Uh, she got her EMT license, and the instructor at the end told her, you know, if you want to keep your skills up, why don't you join the volunteer fire department in Santa Fe County? What Lori heard was that we both should join the fire department. <laughs> so she heard it differently than it was being said, yeah? Quite differently. So uh, she came home and told me that we were joining a fire department. Now, I had never heard of a volunteer fire department, um, and I just could not picture myself knocking a door down with an ax and I had a thing about blood and gore, which runs in the male side of my family. Not a fan, I'm gathering. Right, not a fan. And so I was highly resistant. But she took me to our first meeting. And it was in the station bay of this fire station. And there was this eclectic group of people from contractors, because it was Santa Fe, to writers and painters. Uh, there was a federal judge, a couple of lawyers. And we all sat around this table and we introduced ourselves. And then they passed around a picture of an accident, uh, an, a motor vehicle accident that had, they had had that week. Um, and Lori took the picture and was extremely intrigued by, by the mechanism of injury. Unfortunately, the, the driver had passed away. And then she handed me the picture, and I took one look at the patient, and I passed out. <laughs> and I had to leave. You were not exactly fireman material at No, that. no, no. I wasn't, I wasn't like the, the, the poster child for, for being a firefighter. Um, and Lori, you know, Lori whispered to me that, you know, I did, I wouldn't have to do anything medical. I could just learn how to run the trucks. Okay. So you were, you were going to drive the trucks and she was going to deal with the people. Do stuff. the real work. Yeah. So uh, that's how it started. And um, three months later, I got very enthusiastic about it. And I realized even though um, I had, a, we had a great life uh, and we had everything that America says that we should have, there was always something missing. And the missing piece to me was becoming a volunteer firefighter and actually helping in the world. So you had a happy marriage, you had a home, you had enough to support yourself. You have two daughters, is that correct? Yep. Dogs, lots of them, uh, I'm lots gathering. Of dogs. Yep. <laughs> so you had what lots of people would aspire to, but there was something missing and you didn't know it was missing until you found it. Exactly, exactly. What do you think it was that was missing? Because it wasn't specifically fighting fires, of course. It was something about that. Yes. At, 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 uh, when, you, when you boil it down, it was the, um, this kind of uh, 
hard to articulate the need to help people. Service. Yes, right. And I think the first thing you learn as a volunteer firefighter is that there's so much suffering around you. Uh, everybody has a story. Everybody's going through something. And every time there's a 911 call, it, that, it reinforces that to you. So it kind of takes away the blinders. You know, my metaphor for our lives is often that we're just riding in air-conditioned cars on the interstate, isolated from one each other. We don't see one each other. We don't talk to one each other. But when you get out into the real world and you're enmeshed in people, you realize that everybody has a story and everybody's suffering. It's so funny that you say it, Hirsch, because I've said this to, to loved ones, even about doing this particular podcast, is that I'm convinced that if I, if you put, we're in COVID right now, so nobody's going into crowds, but back when we did that, that you could put me in a crowded room of a hundred strangers and I'd put a blindfold on and randomly go tap the shoulder of somebody. And I guarantee that they've had a story of something they've overcome, something they've endured, something, because I just think it's the human story. Absolutely. So, so here you were. So this connection to the needs of others, to other than, you know, look, my house is good. My family's good. I love my kids, good dogs, all of that. There was this element of service that was missing and you didn't know it was missing. Right, right. Um, and I had been raised Catholic uh, and in, in kind of the old Catholicism uh, that I remember, there was a call to service. Mm-hmm. And my dad is very Catholic. And then you kind of grow, you know, you, you leave the church, you grow up in kind of a secular society, and and there was always this thing missing. And that thing that missing for me was, was being of service. So how did you get over being the guy that passed out when you looked at the picture? <laughs> To being the guy that I, I assume that you do not just drive the trucks. No, no. I. Um, it turned out that, and, and almost every fire department is like this, that 80% of the calls we go on are medical calls. So if you're going to participate, um, I mean, one of the ways you participate is by becoming an EMT. So I took a first, I took a CPR class. I got through that. <laughs> and then I took what we call a first responder class, which is kind of the minimal level uh, on the fire department. And I got through that. And then, uh, I took an EMT class and I actually ended up doing, um, doing hospital shifts and I kind of, I got over it and I found it really intriguing and really interesting. And so I, I kind of went into that part of the, of the service. I'm a firefighter, but I'm also an EMT. You know what I wonder and Hirsch, you'll have to tell me if the, if you make this connection or not, but the connection I made and see if I'm even close to accurate is it seems like when it, when the shift happened, that it was about service, that that's when the shift happened, that you could deal with the gore. It became about the other person instead of your own experience of them. Definitely part of it. And I think what, you know, cause you think uh, when, when you when you're kind of shy about blood and gore and pain because I think seeing other people in pain is a big part of it. You're really focusing on yourself. But when all of a sudden you know that you have the skills to help uh, and you can focus on someone else and helping them, it does make a, a huge difference in your worldview. And I think that's what carries you through. Hmm. I kind of want to linger there for a second. Sure. When, and you know, it's interesting in the background of either your house or mine, I'm not sure I'm hearing sirens. 
Mm. It's fortuitous. We are recording this in the middle of California, essentially being on fire. (laughs) It's, it's, uh, and I live in Northern California, you're in New Mexico. And I understand as we, we spoke before we began recording that you're even getting smoke from our fires down to where you are. So you can, folks might even hear in my voice a little difference because it's, it's really smoky here. I'm safe. I'm well, and all of that. I wouldn't be recording this if that was not the case, but it's, it's interesting because it seems that when you shifted that away, when you started to have a, the others, the other person's needs in your mind and you being of service to them. And then when you got the skills to help them, that's when you became less affected by the pain that they're in. Yeah. And, 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 or the gore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that plus, I think just some normal things that how the brain works and you get, you get attenuated right? You get used to things, which is a double-edged sword on the fire service because getting used to things allows you to help more and not get upset. But also you have to be careful that you don't get so attenuated that, that you don't, you don't really understand or experience people's pain. Well, do you think that that's when people cross over and they, they get so kind of calloused to it because they sort of have to, as a self-protect or they think they have to, as a self-protective measure, they get Yes. Hold on a second. Before we go, I just sure. want I just want folks to hear what I'm hearing. I don't know if you can. Hold on. Oh yeah. It's fascinating to me that that's happening while you and I are speaking. That was yeah. not happening yeah. when we began this conversation. I'm listening carefully. If my husband yeah. comes yeah. rushing in, we'll end the recording. Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, Be safe. Of course. Were, was there a, a case or a, a, a call that you went on early on that let you know that you had the capability? Um, I think, that, yes, for, I was incredibly lucky in that I had a, a kind of a lot of very, what we would call minor calls, medical calls, um, that were easy to deal with before I got into something really major. Mm-hmm. So I had, a, I had a chance to kind of, uh, get used to it, practice it before I was thrown into. You had to, you had to be in the shallow end before you got plunged into the deep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And was there a, was there also a, a call maybe later on that you wondered whether or not you could do it. Absolutely. Um, I had a call and I write about it in the book where a family had crashed a car. The, we were in a, the monsoon season and the river had washed out a road and they had crashed. They flown into this uh, fast flowing river and crashed into the bank on the other side. Uh, we got there, it was pouring rain. Um, the river was flooded and we got the kids out and we got the, the father out, and then their last patient was the mom, and she was conscious and alert, and she was talking to me. So I thought, no big deal, maybe just a head injury. We got her out. We ex- extricated her from the river in the car, and we got her up to the ambulance. And as I was talking to her, uh, she went unconscious, mm-hmm. and then she became pulseless. And I had told her family, because I thought she was fine, that, that um, she would be following them in the ambulance and meet them in the hospital. But then she died in the back of our rig. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think, the most, at that time, it was the most helpless I'd ever felt before um, because there was nothing we could do. She, she ended up having uh, torn her descending aorta, and she had bled out into her belly. There was no way that you could know that. And there was nothing we could do. But at the time, you feel like when, when someone dies under your care so suddenly, uh, it, it, to me, it brought home the severity and the importance of what we do. Uh, and it wasn't just a game of uh, of you know finding meaning in your life, but it was it it, it was a 
a vocation with life and death consequences. You weren't playing fireman. <laughs> exactly right. We weren't playing. So tell me why the title is Firefighter Zen. I think that's a great question. And, you know, my editor and I just were tossing ideas back and forth. And we came up with the idea of Firefighter Zen. And the way I think about it is that being a firefighter and the practice of Zen are two different roads to the same conclusions and consequences. Being a firefighter, which is my, my path, teaches you a couple of, of very simple things. First thing is that when, you, when you're very, very familiar with death, you, uh, you understand that the, our time here is short. All we really have is this moment. And uh, being a firefighter teaches you uh, profoundly that all we have right now, all we really own is this moment in time. We're not guaranteed the future. And as we learned in the pandemic, I think everybody had their calendars for the year starting March 11th, and they just threw them away because we had no idea what was coming. And what we discovered in the firefighter world is um, that same stuff happens to individuals all the time where you know there's tragedy, stuff happens. Um, we call it, I call it the glitch. Everybody has a life plan, but the way the universe works is there's always a glitch. <laughs> Something gets thrown at you that completely changes the arc of your life. I think that everybody has a moment, and sometimes more than one, tragically, where, every, where their life gets divided into before and after. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, before well the fire, after the fire, before the tragedy of whatever, you know, before September 11th, after September 11th. You know, there, there are things that, that, that bifurcate our time, our, our, our lives in such a way right. that we're forever changed after them. The point to remember that's really important is everybody goes through this. No one gets through their life without that, right? It doesn't happen on a global scale all the time, but it absolutely happens on an individual scale. So do you think that that's happened for you, uh, taking firefighting out of the, the equation? Personally, for you, has there been one of those moments that became the before and after? Absolutely. Um, I have a big family. And... Uh, I had a sister who died when she was six. Uh, I lost another sister uh, ten years ago, uh, for, you know, to skin cancer. Uh, I lost. I've lost both my parents. So those are all all moments in my life um, where there was a before and an after. Mm. Right. I think loss is often people's moment mm -hmm. where things change, and even if it's a loss that's not unpredicted even if it's the death of an older parent or something like that, sometimes people still experience that as that, exactly. that moment. You know, I was also thinking about how counter it, you know, here I sit listening to the sirens in the distance and breathing the smoky air. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, my every instinct is to get away from this. Every instinct in me says run. But firefighters and other first responders have to override that instinct and they run toward, not away. And I'm wondering, is it as simple as what we were talking about before, that you shift out of the notion of yourself and you think about the service? Or is there something else that you do to override that instinct to flee? Yes. I, I think it is uh, our, our training, right? What we train incessantly so that when we look at a fire, we see it differently. Uh, we understand the risks and how we manage them. 
Um, now I think some of the fires in Cal, I just feel so bad for the firefighters because I know they're overextended, they're exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, there's doesn't seem to be, I mean, they're calling for people from Australia and from Canada uh, to come help in California. So I know they're just wiped out. Um, but we're trained. We're, we're trained to deal with emergencies. So I think it's the commitment and the training. Do you think you, because of your training, see, when I see a fire, I just see something that's scary and dangerous and horrifying. Mm-hmm. And it sounds as though you see it as, this is, I don't mean the words to minimize the catastrophic nature of it, but you see it as a foe or a puzzle that needs to be solved and you've got the equipment to do it. Exactly. And the training and the skill and the knowledge. Amongst ourselves, we talk about fires as interesting problems to solve, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I think all good firefighters think that way. And, and we do think of it as, you know, fire is a dragon, right? And we're, we're there to defeat the dragon. Mm-hmm. And we've got lots of training and experience to, to do that. You know, sometimes we lose, right? And sometimes we can't fight it because it's just too overwhelming, like right. what's going on now. But our, our training... And our understanding of, of fire is really there to help us go towards it rather than run away. And so in your, in your individual life or in your life as a family member or a community member, aside from the notion of fire, how, how has what you've learned in your life as a firefighter changed how you approach your own losses or tragedies or those of people that you love? That's a really interesting question. Um, I, it has in a couple of ways. Um, and I tell the story that I, I've come home a number of times from late night calls, from bad accidents or a cardiac arrest and uh, three in the morning. And I'll sneak into my daughter's bedrooms and just sit on the floor and, and listen to them breathe mm. and know that at that moment in time, we're okay, right? We're all alive. We're okay. So I think, I think being a firefighter has really taught me to treasure those moments uh, and simple things like I don't go to bed angry. <laughs> um, because you know how fleeting life can be. Yeah, exactly. And I work hard on being vulnerable and being open and saying I love you a lot. Um, I know being a firefighter has, has taught me that. The other strange thing is I'm terrified of driving. <laughs> really? Well, because oh, you know how badly it can go. Right, right. No, it's like I drive my kids crazy because I'm the slowest driver <laughs> in the family, and I'm constantly calling them saying, you're telling them, get off your phone, and I'm, I'm the one who's calling them. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, you know, it, it also sounds like, the, you know, again, in keeping with your title of Firefighter Zen, Zen is all about present moment awareness, right? Yes. Yes. Be here now, here now this. Yeah. And so I would imagine that there's no more, like when you're in the midst of a fire, there is nothing else. Like it, it, it's got to make you acutely present. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, um, it's really interesting because when we're at a, at a critical scene or at a fire, um, it's very, very focusing. Mm-hmm. And you're not worried about the past anymore. You're not thinking about the future. You're thinking about that fire at that moment at that problem. Or at a, at a, at a medical call, you're completely focused 
on on a patient, right? And working hard. Uh, and it's a couple things. It's it's astonishing how unfocused the rest of our lives are. It's what you learn, right? We constantly have that narrator in our head um, who's narrating our lives, telling us about all the bad stuff that happened in the past. And then we have our phone and our yes, right, social right, media stuff right, and all right, that stuff. Right. But uh, being a being a firefighter it gives us gives you this uh, opportunity to be really focused in the now, right now, this call, um, and and nothing else matters. Huh. When, when actually we extricate somebody from a car or pull somebody out of a fire, it is an astonishingly profound moment uh, of, of there's, there's gratitude, there's the sense of being in the moment that, that really is addictive, and you want more of it. I'm also thinking about how such events and such moments in our lives recalibrate priorities, mm. you know, unimportant things become important yep, and important things become unimportant, yep. <laughs> you know, or the things that we thought were important move around. I'm not saying really important things move, but you know, the, in the middle of this fire and smoke and everything all around us in the middle of the pandemic that we're in and the political climate that we're in, all of those things, all of a sudden getting new kitchen countertops is just not that important. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, some of those things that were consuming our thoughts before, become so almost laughable, it seems. Yep. And I'm wondering what's become a laughable, not concerned to you anymore. There's a lot of things. Um, I mean, one of my examples was I grew up in Minnesota and Minnesota's very Scandinavian. They follow the rules and, and you know, schools where you've got awards for attendance. And I just never really cared about my kids being, having good attendance after seeing what you see. It's like, it's not that important. Um, Grand, your grandmother's birthday is more important than an attendance day in mm -hmm. school, right? Um, I think other things like um, being being honest becomes really more important. Telling the truth, being open and vulnerable, and realizing and admitting to people that this hurts or you're scared uh, become more important to me than kind of than kind of playing the role of. American male where you're not, you're not supposed to feel or not supposed to show emotion. I think all that just is just nonsense. Hmm. Right. And, and that's after, after seeing the suffering that's out there and helping people and knowing that everybody, everybody's suffering a little bit. Even some of the strongest firefighters I've known who were just the people I am, I wanted to emulate. Wow. They go through tough stuff and, and, and they're not afraid to show emotion. So it's, it's those kinds of things. And they're not going through it alone. They're not going through it alone. No, hmm. can't, can't. I think that's a myth that wow. you can healthily get through stuff alone. I think that's, that's a product of Hollywood that doesn't really work in the world. Well, one last question or two, and that is, I mean, I understand your wife has retired from the firefighter work and you have not. So you're, right. you're still out there and you're a volunteer fireman. And I have to tell you, you know, my notion of volunteer fireman it, through my vast ignorance. The only <laughs> volunteer fire company, I, I mean, I used to watch, you know, Andy Griffith show or Green Acres or somebody it was Mr. Haney carrying a bucket, right? <laughs> um, but I'm gathering from, from your book that, that there are a lot more volunteer fire fighting organizations in particularly in rural communities than, than employed ones. Yep. I don't know what the proper term is. Yep. We call, we call them career firefighters. Yeah. Career firefighters versus volunteer. Mm -hmm. Is the work identical? 
Um, yes. Uh, the, 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 the difference is uh, career firefighters will do a 24 or 48-hour shift, right, and then they're off. Um, but we're all trained to the same standards. Uh, and I always think the distinction, the more important distinction is how much, how many calls and how much experience you have. Hmm. Um, so for example, the guys in New York or Boston who I just, you know, I just am amazed by them or any large urban area will do hundreds of calls over a week of a couple shifts, right? Where we might, we only do 500 calls a year. The whole department, not just you and you individually. Right, right. The whole department. So I think that it's experience um, is the key difference. Mm-hmm. I think um, there are some other small things like um, the amount of training we do. I mean, we do, we do a lot of training. Some volunteer departments don't do as much training as they probably should. But, the, you know, the fires don't care. The cardiac arrests don't care. Whoever, show, you know, you show up, that's the problem. It doesn't make a difference if you're a career or volunteer in terms of what you see. Mm-hmm. Well, Hirsch, for this interview, for your beautiful book, and certainly for the service that you and your wife and your family have contributed, I want to thank you for being part of the Morning Glory Project. And and I invite everyone to check out Firefighter Zen by Hirsch Wilson, a field guide to thriving through tough times. Thanks so much for being part of this conversation today, Hirsch. Thank you for having me. It was, it was wonderful to be with you. And the sirens have abated. <laughs> so so I'm hoping that meant that they were far away, but I'm hoping for the safety of those that are far away. Blessings to you. Thank you very much. It's caused a little reflection on my part after having my conversation with Hirsch Wilson yesterday and his book, Firefighters. And I think that that the things that really struck me, not only is this just a good human to know (laughs) and somebody whom we can admire, but what are the lessons for each of us? And for me, the, the two big extra blooms that came out of my conversation, there were lots of them, but two big ones that came out were, one was the notion of how we switch from being overwhelmed by something to being able to act. And he talked about that as being the point at which he stopped something from being about himself and started seeing it as service. He could even overcome his own hesitancies about gore and blood and those kinds of things by switching it into, this person needs me. And I just wonder how many of the things that we're afraid of, whether it's taking a stand, public speaking, protesting, helping a loved one, dealing with loss, whatever, how much more we are capable of if we switch out of I thinking into service thinking. The other piece that really stood out to me was the power of, and and why he titles his book Zen, why it has that word in it. That's just a, not just vernacular, but it's sort of a a philosophy of present presence and awareness. What Ram Dass called in his book, Be Here Now. The sign that I have on my own workstation is here, now, this. Reminding me to focus on what I'm doing There's so much distraction around us. 
not only technological, but now emotional and our fears are distracting and the smoke is distracting and everything is a distraction. But when we get really clear, when we get really present, that's when we get really powerful. If we couple that also with the notion of service, how can I be the most present and powerful servant of others And by servant, I don't mean slave. I mean to provide service to others, whether it's helping in kitchens, whether it's writing postcards for your political causes, whether it's joining resistances, whether it is helping a loved one who's ill and needs help or a neighbor. I think we've got a lot more power than we know if we just focus it. That's a pretty good extra bloom for today. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Morning Glory Project. And wherever you are, whatever challenges you're facing, I'll hope for your comfort and your care and your confidence in yourself. And I hope that you'll find a way to bloom.